0: This is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
1: The opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC. A registered investment advisor.
2: Welcome to Wealth Wake Up this Sunday morning, Dick Donahue, with you here on KGMI. Certified financial planner, wealth advisor. Credited Investment Fiduciary, all those nice little designations. Let's start out today talking about the debt ceiling drama. A fiscal disruption could do great damage to the U.S. economy. The worst impasse over the U.S. debt ceiling occurred 12 years ago. Worries escalated in markets and capital corridors until an accord was reached in the 11th hour, narrowly avoiding a default by the U.S. Treasury. Disappointed by congressional dysfunction, Standard Poor's downgraded the U.S. federal debt on August 5th of 2011. That episode has proven very costly to the American public in a number of ways. So it is an understatement to say that the prospect of going through another debt ceiling debacle is not an exciting one. Nonetheless, indicators suggest that we are headed back to the brink. At the onset, it is important to acknowledge America's finances are not in the best condition. Pandemic programs, however necessary, added substantially to the national debt, which was on an unsustainable trajectory in the first place. Pending increase in interest rates would make the situation even less comfortable, as debt service payments are absorbing a growing share of the federal revenues. The United States is the only country that has this feature. Others view the issuance of debt as a mathematical byproduct of the spending and tax measures passed by legislators. Supporters of the ceiling say that it creates opportunities for important discussion of government expenditures. But detractors note that little has been produced by debt ceiling debates other than impressions that the United States cannot get its fiscal house in order. As we anticipated when we analyzed the 2022 election results, the debt ceiling looked to be one of the few levers that the House of Representatives could pull to affect federal spending. The balloting that only elected Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House hinged on a small group of budget hawks who extracted stiff price for their support, a pledge to include steep cuts and outlays as part of any agreement to raise the debt limit. The American government reached its borrowing limit last week, and they indicated in a series of maneuvers, that are known as extraordinary measures. The major components are suspensions of reinvestment of certain government funds, which will be restored when new debt can finally be reached. Fortunately, the Treasury, we're also heading into the interval where monthly tax receipts exceed expenditures, which also reduces the need to borrow. The reservoir of extraordinary measures is estimated to be about $400 billion. And based on projections of federal cash flows, this would tide the Treasury through the middle of the summer, but after passing the x however prioritization of the government payments will be necessary if the debt ceiling has not been changed, the trade-off between paying civilians and paying bondholders will be a very difficult to reconcile. Any delay in federal transfers and or government shutdown would have an immediate and substantial impact on the U.S. economic growth. If we've managed to avoid a recession through the middle of the year, the consequences of congressional inaction would be enough to tip the economy over. Concerns over deferred interest payments on Treasury securities, which would create a technical default, are already creating dislocations in the bond market. These will become more acute as the debt ceiling's drop-dead date approaches. A risky debt ceiling impasse later this year is almost a certainty uncertainty over the solvency of the U.S. government, the cost of borrowing in both the short and long term. And it's entirely possible that ratings agencies observing the dynamic will review the Treasury's debt rating. A downgrade would further add to borrowing costs. Some in Washington noted that these costs might be worth it if the shutdown results in a stronger spending discipline. If realized, cost cuts could trim the deficit and limit interest expenses. But few think that this outcome is possible. Compromise seems unlikely as both sides feel as if they're scoring political points by holding out. It looks increasingly likely that the summer plans are going to be spoiled again. And let's take a look at our global roundup this week, our PMI's Purchaser Managers Index point to economic slowdown around the globe. Global equities rose from a week ago as the U.S. economy grew at a faster pace than expected. Compared with last Friday, the yield on the U.S. 10-year Treasury note was significantly higher at 3.52%, while the price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil fell slightly to $80 and slightly over $80 actually. Volatility as measured by the CBOE Volatility Index or VIX fell to 18.1 from last Friday's 19.8. So let's look at our macro news. The flash PMI figure signal contracting business activity across most regions. The US Composite Purchasing managers' Index, or PMI, which is a measure that tracks both manufacturing and services activity, came in at 46.6 in January, better than the prior month, but still among the lowest levels seen since the early days of the pandemic. Typically a PMI reading, below 50 signals a contraction in business activity. While labor demand remains strong, signs of slowing job growth and uncertainty around trading conditions are emerging. In contrast, the Eurozone's composite PMI came in at 50.2, primarily driven by an increase in activity in the services sector, indicating a slight expansion in business activity amid declining energy prices and easing concerns over a deep recession. Japan also saw an expansion in services activity while the United Kingdom, Germany and Australia are showing signs of slowing business activity, reporting PMI levels of below 50 for both manufacturing and services. And the U.S. economy grew at a healthy rate in the fourth quarter despite signs of economic slowdown. The U.S. economy grew at an annual rate of 2.9% in the fourth quarter of 22, slightly down from 3.2% in the third quarter. At this time last year, economic growth was 1% compared with 5.7% in 2021. However, that growth was fueled by massive fiscal stimulus and a surge in economic reopenings. While 22 reflects a more normal pace of growth consistent with history, and while economic output was solid and above expectations, the economy itself may be showing signs of cooling. The U.S. Consumer Conference Board Leading Indicator Index which is a forward-looking measure of economic activity, fell 1% in December from fire months and fell 7.4% year-over-year. Worse than expected amid a weakening outlook for manufacturing, home builds, and financial markets. Generally, when changes in the LEI turn negative, it signals a downturn in economic conditions in the near term. And the Bank of Canada's deposits rate hikes. On Wednesday, the Bank of Canada raised interest rates by a quarter of a percent to their upper target of 4.5% and stated that it will likely stop raising rates after this meeting, one of the first among developed cut markets to declare a pause in rate hikes. If the economic outlook involves as anticipated, with declining inflation and slowing economic growth, the central bank expects to hold rates steady to assess the overall impact of the cumulative increases on the economy. Next week, the US Federal Reserve will likely slow rate hikes to the traditional quarter percent and may start to debate the criteria, which would need to see the labor market and inflation for pausing rates later this year. Meanwhile, the ECB maintains its stance of continuing aggressive rate hikes likely through the spring and summer, with a 50 basis point increase anticipated at the next policy meeting, and the Bank of Japan continues its ultra loose monetary policy and the U.S. has until mid-2023 before it will default on its debt. As policymakers continue to deliberate over raising the debt ceiling, the Treasury Department decided to stop fully funding the Government Securities Investment Fund of the Thrift Savings Plan, a fund that allows government employees to invest in interest-bearing U.S. securities as part of their retirement savings, which is the latest of several extraordinary measures to avoid breaching the debt limit. According to Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, the United States has until June of this year before it defaults on its debt. Congress has either raised the debt ceiling or revised the definition of the debt limit 78 times since 1960. So this is a recurring issue that tends to emerge every couple of years or so. While negotiations may drag on for some time, Congress stresses that the U.S. will not default. We will see, but I think that's probably true.
3: And we'll be right back a fine wine, your favorite jeans, a drop-top Chevy. So many things get better with age. Unfortunately, your furnace isn't one of them, until now. With Barron's Payback Program, you can earn up to $1,500 in combined savings when you upgrade to a new high-efficiency furnace. The older the furnace, the more you'll save. And spoiler alert, two lucky customers will win air conditioning. That dinosaur in the garage has been keeping you toasty for decades. But as much as 40% or more of its energy could be wasted, Yikes, that old furnace is costing you money. So call Barron and save up to $1,500 when you trade in your old model. Plus, two lucky customers will win free air conditioning, including the customer with the oldest furnace. Good things really do come to those who wait. But don't wait too long. Call today. Barron's payback program is going on now through February 28th. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. No purchase necessary. See
0: baronheedy.com for details. You go to great lengths to keep your carpet clean.
4: Kids, get out of the living room.
0: You spend your days scolding loved ones.
4: Honey, take your shoes off. And
0: trying to create an invisible shield to keep all the dirt and stains out.
4: Welcome to our home, and just please stay on the plastic. Okay
0: from summer's barbecue stains to your kids' dirty cleats. Call Swans today or visit them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com. KGMI Connects with Joe Tien is about our community and you.
2: I and a lot of other people would like to see Biden
0: rock in hell. Oh, okay. You know what? He gave away our biggest chip each weekday at 4 p.m. You know, I kind of agree that if Griner was a white sheetrock hanger from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, I think it did the same thing. Yeah, he'd probably still be there. That's just the way the world turns. On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com.
1: The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group.
0: If tomorrow all things were gone, Worked for
1: all my life And I had to start again With just my children and my wife
2: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. We're Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway in the Pacific Commerce Center next to Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101. Ferndale 98248. Our phone number 360 733 1200. Our website is wealthwakeup.com. Check out our website, a lot of great information there for you. Again, the Pacific Commerce Center, located on the east side of the freeway, north of the Slater Road on your right. So you basically take the Slater Road exit. Okay. Well, Continuing on with this week's economic update, we'll take a few quick hits from around the world. And we saw that Fed Vice Chair Lael Brenner is being considered as the top contender for the head of the National Economic Council position to guide President Biden in key economic policy items, including debt limit negotiations, the antitrust agenda, and the U.S. energy policy. Brian Deese, the current director of the National of the National Economic Council is planning to step down. Though a definitive date has not been announced, Biden is expected to make a final decision in the next several weeks. And following the World Bank and IMF, that's the International Monetary Fund, The United Nations also predicts a slowdown in the global economy, expecting a growth rate of 1.9% in 2023, which is one of the lowest growth rates in recent decades. However, the economy is expected to moderately pick up in 2024. And South Korea's economic growth contracted 4 tenths of 1% in the fourth quarter of last year due to lower exports and weaker consumer spending, but still expanded 1.4% year over year. The Eurozone's consumer confidence rose from minus 22.2 in December to minus 20.9 in January, in line with expectations and the highest level since February of 22. Amid rising concerns over a recession and elevated inflationary pressures, United Kingdom business confidence declined to minus 23.4 in December, lower than the prior month and the lowest level since 2009. And inflation in Australia shot up to 7.8% year-over-year year in the fourth quarter of 2022, more than expected and the highest pace since 1990. Increasingly, the likelihood that the Reserve Bank of Australia will continue to hike rates. Meanwhile in New Zealand, inflation rose 7.2% from the prior year, lower than the central bank's forecast, paving the way for the possibility of less aggressive interest rate increases. And the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, which is the Core Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, is moving in the right direction, declining to 4.4% in December from November's 4.7%, the slowest pace since October of 21. The U.S. is in talks with the European Union to consider a deal related to key materials used in electrical vehicles and batteries that would allow the EU to tap into certain benefits within U.S. markets particularly the automobile industry. The deal would be part of the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which offers certain exceptions to countries that have free trade agreements with the United States to engage in U.S. markets, something that the EU currently does not have. And U.S. new orders of manufactured durable goods surged 5.6% in December, beating expectations of a 2.5% increase. The rebound was driven primarily by transportation equipment, with durable goods and excluding transportation contracting one-tenth of 1%. U.S. home sales rose at an annual rate of 2.3% in December, according to the Commerce Department. And Redfin reported that pending sales increased 2.9% in December from prior month the first monthly increase since late 21. With signs of mortgage rates declining, housing demand may start to pick up in the coming months. Household spending in the U.S. weakened in December, falling two-tenths of 1% month over month as other signs of an economic slowdown surfaced. Meanwhile, personal spending rose 3.4% from the prior month. And several tech companies have joined the wave of layoffs this week, including Google, Microsoft, Spotify, IBM, and SAP as they register weaker earnings in the last quarter of 22. However, weekly jobless claims fell 6,000 to 186,000, suggesting that the labor market remains tight. We're also seeing a report that amid the weakening of the Iraq diner against the dollar this caused a rise in the cost of livings that the Iraqis have replaced. Their finance governor, or with a new governor, and earnings news. With about 28 percent of the constituents of the S and P 500 index having reported for the fourth quarter of 22, blended earnings per share, which combines reported data with estimates that those that yet to report, shows that the earnings decline of 5.1 percent, while sales rose about 4 percent compared with the same quarter a year ago, according to data from FactSet Research. If earnings finish the quarter in the red. It'll be the first decline since the third quarter of 2020. So let's talk about that first initial fourth quarter GDP estimate. We don't get used to the solid real GDP report in the fourth quarter. It's probably the strongest that we're going to see for a while. More recent data for December, including ISM reports, retail sales, industrial production and housing starts, showed the quarter ended on a sour note and signaled that the first quarter could be negative. Real GDP rose at 2.9% annual rate, which is superficially good news. However, about half of the increase in real GDP was due to a rapid accumulation of inventories, which isn't sustainable and is almost certain to slow up by late 23. Meanwhile, net exports added six tenths of one percentage points to the real GDP growth in the fourth quarter, a factor that is high risk of going negative in 23 due to the increase in the dollar's exchange value in 22. The two components of real GDP that usually have the most to say about future growth are business and retirement investment in equipment and home building, which declined at a 3.8 percent and 26.7 percent annual rates, respectively. We like to follow what we call core GDP, which includes consumer spending, business fixed investment, and home building. It excludes government purchases, inventories, and international trade, all of which are very volatile from quarter to quarter and which are hard for the U.S. to rely on in long-term growth. And core GDP increased at only a two-tenths of 1% annual rate in the fourth quarter, a pace that in the past has usually been this low or worse just before, during, or just after recessions. Remember how overall real GDP growth is negative in the first half of 22, but we insisted that the U.S. wasn't in a recession? Well, part of our evidence was that core GDP was still climbing at a respectable pace. Now core to GDP growth is near zero, which is why investors need to be concerned. Yes, consumer spending is up at a solid 2.1% annual rate in the fourth quarter, but real inflation-adjusted wages and salaries are down three-tenths of 1% per year ago, which doesn't vote well for the quarters ahead. Meanwhile, inflation remains a problem. Real GDP prices at a 3.5% annual rate in the fourth quarter were up 6.3% from a year ago. And nominal GDP and real GDP growth plus inflation rose at a 6.5% annual rate in the fourth quarter, up 7.3% from a year ago. These figures signal that monetary policy needs to tight remain tight to bring inflation back down. Uh, new home sales. New home sales fell 26.6% in the 12 months ending in December of 22, which is the largest calendar year drop since the 2008 housing bust. However, the recent trend in sales has been modestly positive, with activity rising for the third consecutive month in December and signaling that sales activity may have hit a temporary bottom. The main issue This year has been declining affordability, with potential buyers getting squeezed by both higher prices and rapidly rising mortgage rates. Assuming a 20% down payment, the change in mortgage rates and home prices since December of 21 amount to about a 59% increase in monthly payments for a new 30-year mortgage for the median new home. No wonder sales have slowed down. With the 30-year mortgage rates currently sitting near 6.5%, financing costs remain a headwind. However, it's important to note that mortgage rates have recently fallen roughly 100 basis points, that would be 1% from their peak. And given that new home sales are a timelier indicator of the housing market because they are calculated when contracts are signed. It is not surprising that we're seeing signs of life in the report, with sales of existing homes which are counted when contracts are closed continue to struggle. Another piece of good news is that while a lack of inventory has contributed to price gains in the past couple of years, inventories have made substantial gains versus a year ago. This month's supply of new homes, which is how long it would take to sell the current inventories at today's sales pace, is now at 9 months, up significantly from 3.3 months earlier in the pandemic. Most importantly, the supply of completed single-family homes has begun to rise quite rapidly as builders finish more units and rising cancellation rates on purchases leave potential buyers with more options, though not a recipe for significant rebound the combination of moderating mortgage rates and more inventories should continue to put a floor under sales activity. But one problem with assessing the housing activities that the Federal Reserve held interest rates artificially low for more than a decade. And with rates now in the more normal range, the sticker shock on mortgage rates for potential buyers is very real. However, we had strong housing markets with rates at current levels in the past, and home buyers will eventually adjust, possibly by looking at lower priced homes. In manufacturing news, the Kansas City FRED index, which is a major factory sentiment in that region, rose to a still weak minus one in January from minus four in December. Look for further weakness in the National ISM Manufacturing Index reported out this next week. Dick Donahue with you with Wolf Wake up here
0: on KGMI. We'll be right back. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Mornings are busy. That's why the KGMI Morning News is your perfect ticket to the world. While you rush to get ready, hear the very latest local, state, and national news, your KGMI AccuWeather forecast, sports with Mark Skolton the latest money news, and all the information you need for a great start to your day. The KGMI Morning News, 6 to 9 a.m. each weekday on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com.
4: What makes your team look more professional and carry a bold statement that they're proud to work for your company? A crisp company logoed shirt or uniform from Bergen. Blackcomb County's local logo apparel experts. Bergen pairs their commitment to personal service with professional results, specializing in embroidery, heat application, screen printing, and all kinds of logoed promotional products. Your company apparel should reflect the standards of your business. And when your team wears Bergen's customized apparel, it will. Bergen's new owners understand the importance of your image. They go the extra mile to provide crisp logo apparel. They guarantee that the order will be completed on time to your specifications. With a smile. Elevate your company brand with Bergen customized company apparel. From polos to sweatshirts, ball caps to bags, and more, Bergen does it all. Give them a call to get a quote within 24 hours or stop by the showroom Monday through Thursday on Iron Gate in Bellingham and online at bergenembroidery.com. 62, 63,
3: 64, Medicare. So many of us get hung up on our age, but what we fail to realize, we've been paying for health insurance since we were old enough to work, which means we may actually be getting a raise once we're on Medicare. Sound complicated? Let D&D Insurance help make the complicated task of enrolling for your health insurance a little less complicated. I'm Derek, and my wife Denise and I, along with our amazing staff of family and friends, keep things running here at D&D Insurance. We try to help anyone and everyone navigate this ever-changing world of health insurance. Whether you're retiring and trying to figure out Medicare supplements and Medicare Advantage plans, an employer looking for better benefits for your employees, or you're self-employed and needing a plan for yourself and family, we're here to help. Give us a call at 392 8159. See you at DD Insurance, where we try to make the complicated uncomplicated. Ask the experts with Western Solar. Callum, you have to hear about the latest cryptocurrency. We're going to be billionaires. Oh, dear. Sit down, Marcus, before you hurt yourself and listen closely. Not every financial investment is made the same, mate. Yeah, yeah, sure, but I know how to pick them. Yeah, okay. Well, regardless of what you think, you know. It's important to weigh any kind of financial investment objectively. That's
0: what we'll help you do at Western Solar when considering an installation for your home or business. If it's done right, an investment in solar is low risk, will hedge against inflation, will enhance the value of your property, and is bankable for the next 25 years. To protect your investment, we partner with the top industry brands and ensure the best possible installation practices, all while offering competitive, fair, and transparent
3: pricing. I am going to ride solar panels to the moon! He literally never listens to a thing I say. Western Solar is an elite Panasonic partner. To learn more about the best products and warranties in the industry, come visit us on Home Road in Bellingham or online at westernsolarinc.com. Ask the experts with Western Solar. Cascade
0: Radio Group invites you to the first Chili and Chowder Charity Cookoff, February 5th at Gruff Brewing in Bellingham. Your admission gets you tasting tickets and a vote. Sample from the best restaurants in Bellingham, then cast your vote for your favorites. Over 10 restaurants will be vying for your vote. Proceeds benefit domestic violence and sexual assault services of Whatcom County. The Chili and Chowder Charity Cookoff, Sunday, February 5th at Gruff Brewing. Noon till 3. $15 at the door. Benefiting DVSAS of Watcom County, a 21 and older event. Get informed and inspired with Saturday Morning Live on KGMI. Join a group of knowledgeable hosts as they present a variety of guests and viewpoints on issues important to our area and to you and your family. Sponsored by Asset Advisors, LLC and Linden Sheet Metal each Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on KGMI. News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
2: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick Donahue here with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. Continuing on with this week's economic reports for the month of December, we had the durable goods report also come out, and new orders for durable goods rose 5.6% in December, easily beating the consensus expectations, while previous months were revised higher. But don't let that headline number fool you. The surge in new orders was due to a volatile commercial aircraft category, which, after plummeting 30.7% in November, rebounded 115% in December. So if you strip out transportation, orders declined about a tenth of 1% in December and revised lower in previous months. Categories that declined in December include orders for machinery down 1.7%, computers and electronic products down 6 tenths of 1%, primary metals down 3 tenths of 1%. One of the most important pieces of the report, shipments of core non-defense capital goods except aircraft, which is a key input for business investment in the calculation of GDP, declined four-tenths of one percent in December. So despite the drop, these shipments were up 5.1% annualized rate in the fourth quarter versus the third quarter, which provides a temporary tailwind for fourth quarter GDP. Orders for core capital goods, which will lead to shipments in the future, showed weakness in December, declining two-tenths of one percent. And the shift from services to goods accelerated overall. Durable goods purchases beyond where they would have been had COVID never happened. The return towards services means a large portion of goods-related activity will soften in the year ahead, even as some durables that facilitate services like airplanes recover. In other recent news, the Federal Reserve reported that the M2 measure of money supply fell for the fifth consecutive month, down seven-tenths of 1% in December, which is the largest monthly decline in more than 60 years. Following the 40.3% explosion of M2 in 2021, as stimulus flooded the system, M2 declined 1.3% in calendar year 22. And while that may sound like a modest decline, it's the largest 12-month contraction since the 1930s. If the recent data are accurate and we have some doubt, and if this pace continues to be a prolonged period, the economy is in for a very rough 23 and 24 and inflation, which should remain elevated this year, could plummet in 2024. On the manufacturing front, the Richmond Fed Index, which is a measure for mid-Atlantic factory sentiment, dropped to minus 11 in January from a positive one in December. That also is the lowest level since the early months of COVID. Finally, initial unemployment claims fell 6,000 last week to 186,000, while continuing claims rose 20,000 to 1.675 million. These data suggest that the labor market remains strong, but remember... It'll be a lagging indicator of the oncoming recession. In December, personal income and consumption incomes rose while spending fell in December as consumers continue to fight an inflation that has eaten into their spending power. Consumer spending declined two-tenths of one percent for the month, while prices rose one-tenth of one percent, which means that real spending, which adjusts for inflation, is declining three-tenths of one percent. But before diving into the details on the income and spending side, the PCE price index are sure to get attention given that it's the Fed's preferred measure of inflation and one of the last key pieces for data to be released before the Fed's next meeting next week. PCE prices rose a tenth of 1% in December, they are up 5% from a year ago, while core prices, which exclude food and energy, rose three-tenths of 1% for the month, and they are up 4.4% from a year ago. And the Federal welcomed the slowing of overall inflation on a 12-month basis, which was as high as 7% back in June, but is also far too early to revise plans for rate hikes. Core prices dipped on a 12-month basis back in July before bouncing back above 5% over the following months. And while goods prices are moderating up 4.6% from a year ago in December versus 10.6% back in June, services prices continue to accelerate with little sign of easing. Services prices are up 5.2% this year or in 22 versus 4.8% gain in 21. And speaking of services, consumer spending in December was led by a half a percent increase in spending on services, while spending on goods fell by 1.6 percent. This divergence between services and goods is a trend that we're seeing across economic releases, and one that we expect will continue. Consider for a moment that from February of 2020 to December of last year, due to massive government stimulus and lockdowns, spending on goods grows by more than $300 billion, while spending on services fell by over $500 billion. This government-induced shift caused a massive reallocation of resources, employees, consumer dollars, and investments. And now, as we return to more normal spending patterns, the good side of the economy will be trending slower slower, while services continue to heal. Spending in December was supported by a two-tenths of one percent increase in incomes led by private sector wages and salaries, which rose three-tenths of one percent and are up 5.4 percent in the last year. The ongoing transition to paychecks and away from stimulus checks and government transfers is critical for sustained economic prosperity, but it'll be tested as the Fed's ongoing tightening likely pushes the economy into a recession. That painful process is part of the rehab necessary to mend the broken economic bones that were hidden by the morphine of all of that stimulus. Get a lot of questions here. Going to go through a few of them about inherited Roth IRA beneficiary rules and... and, um, uh, for example, we had a question, do adult children who inherited parents' Roth in 2020 need to take an RMD each year during the 10-year payout rule, or may they leave it alone and deplete the account at the end of the 10th year? Basically, the question was, I've heard it both ways and so would like to know what is correct. Well, beneficiaries of Roth IRAs who are subject to that now, to you, that 10-year rule, do not have to take any RMDs during the 10-year period. The requirement to take RMDs within the 10-year period only applies when the IRA owner dies after her required beginning date, but Roth owners are not subject to RMDs since they are always considered to have died before the RMD beginning date. So basically a regular IRA, if it's after beginning required minimum minimum, uh, distribution date, then the beneficiaries have to take that money out based on the life expectancy table from years one to nine and have the balance out by the end of the 10th year. However, on a Roth IRA, they are not subject to taking any money. So for people that are considering doing a Roth conversion, that's a real strong reason to get out there and do a Roth conversion with money, especially if you think you got another 10, 15, 20 years to live, that money grows tax-free once you make that conversion. So you convert that money to a Roth It grows free for the rest of your life, and then can grow there and sit there for another 10 years following your death. That's going to be a long time. We do a lot of Roth conversion comparisons. happy to do it for you. Give us a call, 360-733-1200. We can run that for you. Had another question. It just inherited a Roth IRA and a traditional IRA from a friend who was 64 years old at the time of death. Basically, said, I'm 60 years old, so am I eligible to use the life expectancy rule for RMDs rather than the Secure Act's 10-year rule? Well, the question is whether I can elect to use the life expectancy rule for the traditional IRA, thus taking required annual RMDs, while at the same time electing to use the 10-year rule for the inherited Roth, taking no RMDs on that account, but emptying it after 10 years after death. Well, here's our answer here. Yes, you can do that as long as the IRA custodian allows it. As an eligible designated beneficiary, you can use the life expectancy rule to stretch out RMDs, but eligible defined find benefic- beneficiaries with approval of the custodian can instead choose the 10-year payout if the IRA owner died before his RMD required beginning date, which in this case the friend did. There is no rule preventing you from choosing one payout rule for the traditional IRA and another for the Roth, So uh, interesting questions that we get, and again, we're more than happy to try to answer some of those. And then I got one more about Social Security the other day, and basically it was, keeping um, keep getting a lot of questions about divorces and stuff, and here in this case, we retroactive spousal benefits. Regarding surviving spousal benefits, are they retroactive to the date of the deceased ex-spouse past? In this case, my mother never applied for divorce spousal benefits when she and my father divorced about 30 years ago. After 10 years of marriage, is it too late to apply? And with regard to the first question, in most cases, the maximum retroactivity is six months or 12 months in some disability-related cases. With regard to the second question, no, it's not too late. But again, the maximum retroactivity is probably six months. But yes, you can go back out there and apply. Dick here with you with wolf Wake Up here in KJMI. We'll be back shortly.
0: A lot of times when you're shopping for a new mattress, all you see in a lot of the stores are big signs screaming sale, sale, sale. But Scott, owner of Northwest Sleep Solutions, says you'll never see a sign like that in his store. Why? I really don't have the markup to do that. Our everyday prices are, frankly, a lot lower than the sale prices you see. We see the $9.99 beds for $5.99 on sale. We're $4.99 all the time. So we don't do that, and there's a reason we don't, and I think that's one reason we're still here. And people walking by Northwest Sleep Solutions... Can't seem to resist coming in and stretching out on one of their beds. The reason we set this store up this way is for that exact reason. Over the years, it's gotten to where bed shopping seems to be kind of stressful. It shouldn't be. It's a bed. So we'd love to have you come in and just take your time, hang out. And if you come back a couple months from now, that's great. We're not going to pressure anybody here at all.
3: Northwest, sleep solutions,
0: sleep solutions, The solution for a good night's sleep
4: why West Edge Credit Union? Because they're all about the community. Of course I like that West Edge has low interest rates and loan specials. But what I really love is that West Edge partners with local nonprofit and city of Bellingham organizations. Plus, they put on events like Community Shred. And they talk to me like I'm a real person, not an account number. West Edge really cares.
0: Join West Edge Credit Union today. West Edge is federally insured by NCUA. West Edge Credit Union on the corner of Jameson, Alabama in Bellingham. Staying connected with your community each Saturday at noon with KGMI's Community Connection as local business leaders share their expert advice. Sponsored by
1: Dewey Griffin Subaru, Ferndale Downtown Association, Lydia Place, UA Local 26, and Lorraine's Window Coverings.
0: Community Connection, Saturdays at noon on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com.
3: Cause there ain't no doubt I love this
0: land God bless the USA
2: Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up. Dick here with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. As always, if you got questions for us, give us a call, 360-733-1200. You know, I know that I repeat some of this information from time to time, but some of it I think is information that we need to keep talking about. And, of course, one of those we're going to spend a little bit more time on today is talking about what's new for Social Security and Medicare this year. And basically, older Americans that started 23 with trifecta of good news, they had a bigger Social Security benefits, they had lower Medicare premiums, and they had easier access to Medicare enrollment. Social Security benefits increased 8.7%. As a result, most of those checks should be out here by this time or within the next couple of days, and that's the largest cost of living adjustment in more than 40 years. A Social Security COLA exceeding 8% is really rare. There have been only three other COLAs since the start of automatic inflation adjustments back in 1975 that were higher. Back to the hyperinflationary period of 79 to 81, when benefits were increased 9.9%, 14.3%, and 11.2%, respectively. But it's not necessary to claim Social Security benefits in 2023 in order to cash in on this huge annual increase. Anyone who's 62 or older and eligible to reach Social Security this year, meaning anyone born in 1961 or earlier, is going to profit from that 8.7% COLA. The 2023 cost-of-living adjustment, along with every other COLA awarded from time individuals turn 62 until they file for benefits, will be automatically included in their future benefits. The 8.7% COLA boosted the average monthly Social Security check to $1,827 this year. That's up $146 a month from last year. It's also increased the maximum retirement benefit for someone who retires at full retirement age in 2023 to $3,627 a month. That includes people born in the second half of 1956 who have a full retirement age of 66 and 4 months, and those who were born in the first half of 1957 who have a full retirement age of 66 and 6 months. In addition, Individuals who delay claiming Social Security earn an extra 0.66% per month for a total of 8% a year. So if you don't take it right away, you're not only getting that 8.7% increase, you're also getting an additional 8% per year for delaying Social Security once you've reached your full retirement age. And those in delayed retirement credits are postponing benefits until you get to a full retirement age of age 70. So that means that somebody that was able to keep Social Security in this last year in the 66-67 range is going to get about 16, almost 17% more money by not having taken it and by waiting so not only did Social Security benefits increase this year, but the Medicare Part B premiums actually deducted from Social Security payments decline for the first time in more than a decade, resulting in larger net Social Security benefits for most retirees. Talk about premium surcharges, however. Most Medicare beneficiaries pay the standard Part B premium of $164.90 a month in 2023, down slightly from $170.10 a month that they paid last year. But some high-income retirees pay more. Single beneficiaries with income of $97,000 or more and married couples with, with $194,000 or more pay a Medicare premium surcharge, officially known as an Income-Related Monthly Adjustment Amount, or IRMA. And the IRMA surcharges are based on your latest available tax return from two years ago. For example, 2023 IRMA surcharges are based on your 21 tax returns that were filed last year. Social Security uses a Modified Adjusted Gross Income, or MAGI, which includes adjusted gross income plus tax-exempt interest from muni bonds to determine income for your IRMA surcharges. And in 2023, surcharges for Medicare Part B range from an extra $65.90 per month to an extra $395.60 per month per person on top of their standard Part B premium of $164.90. That means that those that are in those higher income rates are paying over $500, almost $550 a month per person. Now, new Medicare enrollment rules also took effect in 2023. Starting in January, people who enroll in later months of their initial enrollment period are going to have coverage from the first day of the month until they sign up. Your initial enrollment period begins three months before your 65th birthday, includes the month that you turn 65, and ends three months after your birthday. Then you also have your Medicare enrollment. Previously, if you signed up for Medicare during the month, you turned 65, or during the last three months of your initial enrollment period, your Medicare Part B coverage would begin one to three months after your 65th birthday. Beginning this year, if you enroll in Medicare one to three months before your 65th birthday, your Medicare Part B starts the month that you turn 65. If you enroll during your birthday month or one to three months after you're 65, your coverage will begin on the first day of the month after you sign up. And if you don't sign up for Medicare Part B during your initial enrollment period, you'll have another chance during the general enrollment period from January 1st up through March 31st of this year. Starting in 2023, your coverage will start on the first day of the month after you sign up. Previously, people who enrolled in Medicare during the general enrollment period would have to wait until the following July 1st for the coverage to begin. And if you don't enroll in Medicare Part B during your initial enrollment period, you may be subject to delayed enrollment penalties unless you're covered by a group health insurance plan with you or your spouse's current employer. So basically, if you're covered, you don't have to sign up, but make sure you keep that window in mind when you're out there looking at getting enrolled. And Social Security benefits kick in this month. Can retirees be recovered from inflation? Well. Talking about Social Security, the final round of one of the biggest Social Security checks ever to hit retirees' accounts arrives this week. The checks, which begin going out to more than 65 million beneficiaries earlier this year, reflect an 8.7% cost of living adjustment, or COLA, which is the most in 40 years, and they'll amount to between $140 and $145 on average more a month, according to estimates from the Social Security Administration. That'll help a lot of households to buy a little extra week or two of groceries. With soaring inflation, it might not be enough for retirees who rely on Social Security to recover from the shortfalls since the start of the pandemic, however. The Social Security Medicare policy analyst at the Senior Citizens League reveals that since the start of the pandemic, Social Security benefits have fallen short of of cost-of-living adjustments by about $1,054 on average through 2022 catching up in this year is uncertain because it will all depend on prices coming down significantly. And based on the most recent data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the Consumer Price Index for urban wage owners and clerical workers was 6.3% for the 12 months through December. Lower inflation means that Social Security shortfall would be only about $38.70 for January before the Medicare premiums which is one hundred sixty-four ninety. The social security gap is expected to close as inflation comes down. You now, we can't say whether it'll catch up with that $1,054 lost so far for the average benefit though. It's unlikely. We're looking for an inflation that has not happened in 40 years and we don't really know what to expect. And because the shortfall occurred over a two-year period from January 20 through December 22, it'll be extremely difficult for retirees to cover. We're looking and a historical financial catastrophe of sorts that have happened to this particular group of retirees is similar to what happened during the Great Recession. It took a very long time to recover. If you analyze past COLAs, the 1.6% increase kept pace with inflation up until March, when COVID hit and shut down the economy. That that was a year when the average benefits of COLA matched up. Beneficiaries ended the year ahead by about $53 before deductions for their premiums for Medicare Part B. In 21, though, the 1.3% cola fell short on an average of 261%. Leaving recipients with little inflation protection, the average benefit fell $612 for the year, or $51 a month, before deduction of your Medicare Part pre premiums, which are $148.50, or $1,782 in 21. In 22, the 5.9% cola was short on an average of about 46% per month. The average benefits fell 4995 dollars for the year because of inflation or $41.215 a month before the deduction for Medicare part premiums. B premiums were an additional $170.10 a month or $2,041.20 for the year. This is also one of the largest increases in Medicare program history. So if you have rapid deflation or disinflation, it could very well be that we don't have a COLA next year. This has happened three times before, in 2010, 2011, and 2016. And then back in 2017, the COLA was just three-tenths of 1%. Stick down to with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. Don't forget our live show on Saturdays. Look forward to being back with you at 11 o'clock next Saturday. If you got questions for me, give me a call, 360 733 1200. And again, check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Thank you for being with us and have a great week. Don't freeze a little bit out there in the next couple of days.
1: Opinions voiced in Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Guests on Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue are not affiliated with CWM LLC. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC. A registered investment advisor.